Well, tonight I'm really excited to move forward in our series, Is It Well With My Soul? I hope you guys have been enjoying this. I know I have. I've been really checking my soul lately to see how well my soul is. And uh, last week we talked about um, just uh, God's goodness. Uh, Matty Bateman did a great job talking about that, so good for him. And tonight I want to talk about the fact that our soul needs to be generous. I don't know if you're aware of this, but there's a need in your soul, not a want, uh, not a should, but a need in your soul. Your soul needs to be generous. Last week I had a first happen in my life. Jeff Roberts called me up, and Jeff is the president of Rotary this year, and they're doing this huge project out at Bender Fields. Have you seen it out there? Really cool. There's some climbing boulders, some climbing rocks. And so Tuesday there was this picnic, go back one, picnic that uh, we went to. There's the Rotary and a lot of the people that have donated their time and their materials, uh, construction companies, dirt-moving companies, have, have donated their time to make this happen. And it's like an 800000 to a $1 million project, and it's down to like 400000 with all the donations and time given. And that money's been brought in. And so Jeff called me up, and he says, Hey, we're going to have a, a boulder blessing. Would you come out and bless the boulders? And I checked my prayer book, and it's like... No, I don't have a prayer book. But, I mean, if I did, I would have checked it. And I've prayed for a lot of stony hearts over the years, but I've never prayed for stones. And so I said, yeah, I'd love, I'd love this experience. So I got to go out there, hang out, have lunch with the Rotarians, and bless the boulders, and just thank God for all the, the giving. It was just a wonderful experience. But I tell you that story to say that people are given a lot of money for this. Because they're passionate about this. They want this in Bender Fields. And it's really, it was really cool. I was sitting next to this guy, and, and so I talked to him and interviewed him like I do. If you sit next to me at lunch, I'm going to find out all about you, okay? And so I said, where are you from, all this? And he was retired from Skagit Valley, had sold a business, had a bunch of money. Now his main thing, two things, philanthropy and pickleball. Those are the two things he loves. Lives for pickleball. So I said, well, you're not from Linden. What are you doing here? And he said, well... I heard you guys were putting in courts, and I want to donate, so I donated a whole bunch of money to put in pickleball courts, and now I'm here just to to see the blessing of of the park. And so I thought to myself again, here it is, a guy that's so passionate about something that he's willing to invest in a park in a town that he doesn't even live in. And who knows how often he'll even play in these courts, right? But he's passionate about this. And that passion has brought about a generosity because he believes... Every community should have pickleball. So over the years, I've been blessed by so many people that have been generous. Uh, People have done things for me like they've done for you probably. And I was thinking back over this, and I just remember one time in in particular as we talk about generosity that I was so blessed, and it was when we moved back to Linden. My wife and I both grew up here, and when we got married, we moved away, and we said, we'll never move back. So never say never, right? Because here we are. But... But we said that. So 19 years later, we moved back, and I I was hired by North County Christ the King as an associate pastor, 2003. And so we were having church next door at the Anchor. That's where our church facility was at the time. And I remember my second week there, I'd already been introduced to the church, but I hadn't met very many people. Second week there, I come into an evening service Saturday night, and at the door is this older gentleman, and he sticks out his hand. I had never met him, and he said, Hi, my name is George. You need to buy my house. And I'm like, well, that's odd. That's not normally what people say to you when they shake your hand. And he goes, no, really. It would be perfect for you. Why don't you bring your family over this week, and I'll show you my house. So we did. (laughs) We brought our family. 
over to George and Mary's house on Bradley Meadows Lane, over by Lennon High School, and it was on an acre of property. There were no houses, no houses around there except the old house of the Coochie Homestead was out there, but that was it. There were no houses around there except on that street. And so we looked at their house. They took us through, gave us a tour, and he said, you know, this would be perfect for you guys. It's, it's near the high school. You can develop this property. You can make some money. And again, I'm thinking, who is this guy? You could make money, right? But, but he's saying to me, you could make some money off this property. And so we sat down at the table, and Mary brought out some cookies and some lemonade. And we sat at this table, and I kid you not, this is what he did. I said to him, well, so George, your house is beautiful. I love it. It would be perfect. But how much, how much do you want for this house? I'm pretty sure I can't afford it. So he gets a piece of paper and he writes a number on there and he slides it across the table like the mafia does, you know? <laughs> slides it across the table. And I look at it and my heart sank because there was no way. No way. We'd just come back from the mission field. We didn't have that much money. There was no way we could buy this house, right? And so I said, George, your house is lovely. Mary, it's beautiful. But we, we just really, we can't afford it. It's too much for us. It was a 3,200-square-foot house with on an acre, you know. So nice place. And Mary, who's from the East Coast, turns to George and her, in her East Coast accent, which I can't do very well, but it was kind of like, well, George, are you going to lower the price so they can buy our house? And so he takes the piece of paper back and writes another number on it and slides it back over to me. And I'm not kidding, in 30 seconds... He dropped the price of the house about $1,000 per second. So if you can do math, you know what that was. And so it got close to the ballpark, but even still, it was too much for us. And so um, I talked to Candy, who, was our, who, who would be our closing agent. The house wasn't even on the market. And she said, you know what? I'm going to waive my fee so that you guys can buy this house. So George, you know, lowers the price, gives us kind of the house, and Candy waves her fee so that we can buy this house. And so we were able to get into a house that over the last 15 years, we've been able to build two more houses on that property. And uh, George has since passed away. But we've been able to do this and move ahead in life all because a man named George, who I call Generous George, decided to share his wealth, share what he had with somebody he had just met, didn't even know, had just met me and said, I want to do this for your family. And I'm blown away by the level of generosity that some people have in their lives. You know, over the next several years, George and I developed a friendship, and we went out to lunch almost every week. And he was a retired older gentleman, and we'd sit and have uh, fish and chips at Bob's, always the two-piece, you know, old person. Oh, sorry, I shouldn't have said that. Uh, <laughs> retired person meal. And George would always order the same thing, two pieces of fish and five French fries. And the waitress would always say, what, five French fries? He said, yes, five French fries. So she'd bring them back. He didn't want to overeat, right? And so as I spent time with George, I discovered that he suffered from major depression. And there were times in his life where he couldn't go out. He just couldn't do it. And so I would go to his house, spend some time with him. And even then, there were times when he could barely even communicate, barely speak. It was so severe for him. And what George would do to battle those times of depression is that he would live a life of generosity. And I was not the only one that he blessed. He actually made a nonprofit while he was here in Linden, called it Thankful. That's what he named it. And he would meet with business people and invite them to give to his nonprofit so that he could then give that money to ministries 
around the world on their behalf. I mean, this guy battled depression by giving himself away. I believe he stayed alive that way. I really do. So severe was his depression, I believe that he actually stayed alive by being generous. Beautiful, wonderful soul of a man. It just reminds me of this proverb, Proverbs 11.25, that the generous will prosper, and those who refresh others will themselves be refreshed. And I believe that's what George found and that many of us find when we share what we have, not just our, not just our finances, our money, but our time and our talent, our soul with other people. So I believe that our souls prosper, that our souls are more well when we are generous. Again, not just with, with uh, finances or resources, but also with our time. And we are blessed when we're a blessing to others. How many of you have discovered that? When you give yourself away somehow, that you're the one that gets blessed. And didn't Jesus say, it's more blessed to give than to receive, right? So there's a well-being that comes. Our soul becomes more well when we don't hoard our resources to ourselves, but we learn to give them away to one another, to the community, to pickleball courts, you know, rock climbing walls. I mean, but mostly to the kingdom. That is where we really get the most bang for our buck because we're making an eternal difference, not just a temporal difference. It's times when someone needs you that you can help meet that need outside the walls of this church, that you can meet the needs of people in everyday life. Your soul needs to be generous because your soul thrives in generosity. So number one in your notes tonight, my soul needs to be generous. Let me read to you from Psalm 112. Light shines in the darkness for the godly. They are generous, compassionate, and righteous. Good comes to those who lend money generously or give money generously and conduct their business fairly. Such people will not be overcome by evil. Those who are righteous will be long remembered. They do not fear bad news. I want you to catch this. They do not fear bad news. Why? Because they confidently trust the Lord to care for them. Your soul is impacted when you share your resources with others and trust the Lord to meet your needs. Because now you're placing your trust in Him and not in the economy, not in the president or the administration, not in the Fed. But you're placing your trust in the Lord. And so it has an impact on your soul. Such people will not be overcome by evil. Verse 8, they're confident and fearless and can trust their foes triumphantly. They share freely and give generously to those in need. Their good deeds will be remembered forever. They will have influence and honor. Think about how your family would be if we all lived this way. Just your family unit, just you and your kids. Just think about how this would be if we really gave ourselves freely to one another in our homes. So a couple of weeks ago, I talked to you about trust, and I said that trust is is like a muscle that needs to be strengthened and and sometimes can be injured, and so then you have to be healed. And generosity is like that as well. It requires faith. It requires practice. It requires exercise. Because you don't know what you're going to have in another day or a week or a month. You don't know what condition you're going to be in. And so to give yourself away, even your time, means that you're going to have to trust the Lord to provide in the subsequent days that lie ahead, right? And so it does really require faith and it requires exercise. And our soul needs us 
to exercise this muscle called generosity. And our soul needs us to plant the seeds of generosity regularly. Paul said in 2 Corinthians, remember this. A farmer who plants only a few seeds will get a small crop. But the one who plants generously will get a generous crop. Unless we're talking about zucchini. You can plant one seed and you'll get like ample, right? My backyard was just flooded with zucchini. So you must each decide in your heart how much to give. And and get this, don't give reluctantly or in response to pressure. Don't ever let something I say manipulate you into giving more, okay? I'm going to encourage you, even tonight, I'm going to exhort you to give, but don't be manipulated. Give in response to your heart and the generosity that is coming in in, in response to the generosity of Christ. That is the way to give because it is a condition of the heart, okay? So let's remember that. For God loves a person who gives cheerfully. And God will generously provide all you need. Then you'll always have everything. I love that. You'll always have everything you need and plenty left over to share with others. So I believe that generosity is a learned character trait. It's something that we have to practice. We have to become better at. Jesus was generous. And so we learn from Jesus how to be generous. Now, I think our, our normal uh, inborn human nature is self-protecting and, you know, uh, self-providing. We want to make sure we have enough before we share with anybody else. But that's not what Jesus did, and that's not what he wants us to do. He wants us to share with others, even though we may not have enough. I don't know about you. I mean, I grew up in a, a really poor home. Our home was poor, six kids, and my dad only worked part-time my entire life. And the rest of his time he gave to nonprofit that he ran. So we did not have a lot of money. And from my earliest years, I learned that I must earn anything that I wanted that was extra or beyond the norm. You know, if I wanted to wear what the other kids wore, I had to pick berries to earn it. I did. And, and we don't have that luxury anymore to be able to go out and work. But, you know, my parents would provide the basics. And for you kids that don't know what that is, that was double-kneed jeans. Anybody remember double-kneed jeans? So if, if you couldn't earn your own clothes, then you ended up at J.C. Penney's, which today is not bad. They've come a long way. But let me tell you, when J.C. Penney's was on Front Street, it was double-kneed jeans, and that was all you got. Now, now our jeans don't even have knees. But back then, back then we had two knees. So you'd never wear through them, ever. And if you did, Mom would patch them, right? So you did not want to wear the very uncool double-kneed jeans. They were horrible. And so what you would do is earn some money picking berries, and you'd go out. And in my day, it was star jeans. Anyone remember star jeans, 1975, 76? Dan remembers. Those were the jeans to have, $25, which was very expensive back in my day. And they were so wide that when you wore them, you couldn't see your shoes. I'm not kidding. Your shoes disappeared under these bell bottoms. They were awesome. There was like (laughs) 10 yards of material in each leg, you know. And then they, they embossed, they stitched a star on the back pocket. And those were the cool jeans to have. And if you didn't have those jeans, you were not cool. And so we worked very hard to have those jeans. I had one pair, lasted me all through, you know, late grade school and early high school until someone changed the styles to straight legs. I don't know what happened. I do not know what happened. You know, I still love bell bottoms. I think they're the way to go, you know, a little breezy in there and... 
you know, this seriously, this is a true story, and I didn't tell anybody else this, but my senior year, a bunch of our senior girls went to Hawaii in bell bottoms, and they came back in straight legs, and we did not know what happened. We're like, what happened to the bells, you know? And from then on, it was straight legs. But I learned that, that I had to earn my way to be popular. Uh, but fashion wasn't the only thing I, I learned that I had to earn. I learned that I could earn acceptance through being good. And so I was good on the outside and not always so good um, behind the scenes. I learned that I could earn good grades by working hard, which is good. You should work hard for good grades. I learned I could start as an athlete on the starting you know, five or, or 11 or whatever if I worked hard and, and disciplined myself. I, I earned acceptance through trying to be popular. I mean, all, all the things that you wanted in life, you had to earn, right? And so because of that, I think we approach God this way. I think we approach God with the mindset, because it's so ingrained, that we have to earn his approval. Just like we have to earn the approval of the people in our lives, including our parents. We have to earn their approval. And so sometimes we approach God this way. We try to earn his approval. But the fact of the matter is, is that God's approval has already been earned. And and here it is, through Jesus. Jesus has done everything we need to be approved by God. Now, God still wants us to add our good works that come out of his generosity in our lives. But really, our approval has been taken care of. We, we can stop trying to be good enough for God. We receive his goodness into our life. And then we become better. We become more like Christ as we allow the Holy Spirit to work in us. But I think that we approach God like we do the other authority figures in our life, like our parents. You know, if God's our parent, he's going to send us to our room all the time, right? If God's our teacher, he's going to flunk us. If God's our judge, he's going to declare us guilty. And, and, and so we approach God through the lens of fear and shame and, 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 you know, not good enough. And always feeling like we have to earn his approval when that is not the way God has set it up. The great narrative of God, the great narrative of the Bible from cover to cover is of his undeserved love and his unearned grace. You know, the Hebrew word for God's steadfast love is hesed, H-E-S-E-D. Write that down, H-E-S-E-D. I like to put a hyphen in it and say, he said, he said, I love you. He said, my love is steadfast. He said, my love is enough for you. And I love to uh, make it that definition because Hesed is found 147 times just in the Psalms. That God has said, this is the kind of love I have for you, the kind of love that you can't earn. It's lavish. It's unfailing. Psalm 136, his faithful love, his faithful Hesed endures forever. Exodus 34, I lavish unfailing Hesed to a thousand generations. I forgive iniquity, rebellion, and sin. And so here's what I believe about generosity. And I think the world can be generous. They can become philanthropists. They can give money away. And it's fine. It's great when they do that. I love it. But when you have Jesus in your heart, God inspires you to a whole new level to become generous in response to his generosity. And that's a different level of generosity. It comes from the soul. It becomes, my soul becomes more generous as I receive God's generosity. That's number two for you tonight. So here's what I want, I want you to get. When you think about your soul becoming well, you have to include generosity. The major narrative of the Bible from Genesis to Revelation 
is of undeserved and unearned love coming to us through the generous and lavish and unconditional love of Jesus Christ. That is how we receive this generosity of God. You know, sadly, I think even in church, if you grew up in church like I did, I think even in church sometimes we got the wrong message. The message of God is good, you are bad, so try harder. Right? Anybody else get that? I did. And, and I agree with part of it. God is good, we are bad. I agree with that. But the try harder part is not biblical. That's not how you receive God's approval. Now, after we receive God's approval, yes, then we live well in His grace and in His generosity. But to accept the truth that in Christ is how I'm acceptable based on nothing I can do but only what He has done, that is the biblical response. That is the theologically correct response to receive God's generosity and lavish love. That I am valuable to Him. I'm a masterpiece in Christ. As I receive that generosity, then I become the generous masterpiece that He wants me to be. I really honestly think that, that one of the things that blocks us from becoming as generous as God wants us to be in every way is that we have not fully received the generous love and grace and acceptance of our Father through Christ. I really believe that's the case. And I think that once we do really receive that and have that revelation, that He accepts us perfectly, then we're free to not live in fear, free to not live in a scarcity mentality, but to truly believe that we're always going to have enough. So let's share what we have. And that's what I believe God wants us to live by. Ephesians 2 says that God saved us by His grace when we believed. And you can't take credit for this. It's a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for good things you've done. So none of us can boast about it. I believe that God's generosity becomes more obvious the more we need it. The more desperate we are for it. You know, I remember that story of the immoral woman coming to that dinner party and she wasn't supposed to be there. Remember that story? And she hugs Jesus around his ankles and his feet and she weeps upon his feet and she pours the expensive perfume upon his feet and wipes his feet with her hair. She recognized the power of approval that Jesus had for her. And when that was questioned by the religious people, Jesus simply said, she loves much because she's been forgiven much. And it was a beautiful expression of God's generosity you know, the, the law, God's law, the thing that we become bound to sometimes and we, and we feel judged by, by other people, that law was given so that we could simply see how sinful we are. That's all. It was given to define our sin. But Romans 5.20 says that as people sin more and more, what happened? God's wonderful grace became more abundant. His generosity flowed. And, and you, can, you can see how lavish it is as you recognize how much your need is, Right? And that that generosity is for everybody, no matter if they accept him when they're six or when they're 96. doesn't matter. God's grace is generous and abundant. I love this story in Matthew 20. Jesus tells this story about God's abundant grace when he tells a story about this vineyard owner. Remember, you remember this story? This vineyard owner who needed his grapes harvested, and so he goes out to the town square at 6 in the morning, and gathers some workers to come and work in his, in his vineyard, right? So he finds out that by 9 o'clock he needs more. So he goes back, gets more workers at 9, 
and at 12, and at 3, and then at 5 o'clock with only one hour left in the workday, he goes back one more time and gathers some workers, brings them back. Everybody works. And at the end of the workday, he gathers all the workers together and pays them all. But he pays them all the same. And the ones that were there early in the morning complain and moan and whine about this. And they say, this is not fair. We've slaved under the hot sun all day long and you're paying us the same amount as you're paying the guys that just came for an hour. And the vineyard owner says, but, but, but isn't that what I promised you? And so I, I'm giving you what I promised you. I promised you this wage. And why does it matter to you? Why are you jealous of my generosity to these guys that came in at the last minute? And it's a beautiful expression, and we need to get this. This is God's generosity that he loves so much that he will give the same wage, eternal life, to anybody, whether they come early in life or the last breath that they have. And I've been with people in their dying hours where they have given their hearts to Christ. And because of God's generosity, he will give them the same wage. And we should be saying, praise the Lord. We should not be saying, well, how come I don't get, you know. We should be saying, praise the Lord, that we have a generous and lavish God who loves so well. What a beautiful thing it is. Amen. Isn't it beautiful that we have a generous God that loves so well? I've needed it. I still need it. You probably do too. I'm grateful for his generosity. Now, I just want to say about this story that no good Dutchman would do this like the landowner did, right? I mean... I've bucked hay for a lot of farmers in Linden over the years. When I was a kid, I bucked a lot of hay. I don't think anybody ever paid me one penny more than I was supposed to have. I might have gotten some extra meatballs at lunchtime, but but no more money, right? What kind of business owner would do this? And on the surface, it can seem unfair to those who spent all their whole life serving the Lord. But our generous Father pays everybody the same no matter how late they came. And if I'm to be like God, that's how God wants me to be. This is the journey of becoming like Christ, to live in such a way that Jesus did, this lavish generosity of laying it all on the line, giving every breath in his body and giving every drop of blood that he had so that the world could know eternal life, so that the world could be saved. It's called living out of an abundance mentality, not a scarcity mentality. You know, abundance mentality says, I'm going to give because God will always give me more to give. That's what abundance says. Whether it's finances, whether it's time, whether it's grace, whether somebody needs a hug and you give them a hug, you're going to have more hugs to give, right? There's always more hugs. Oh, maybe I don't want to give somebody a hug. Well, maybe God wants you to, right? And so you give that. But scarcity says, I'm going to withhold my giving because I might not have enough. Tomorrow's going to come, or next week, or next year's going to come. I might run out, and so I'm going to hoard to myself because I don't believe God will provide what I need. Now, I'm not saying to you to be unwise. I'm a Proverbs guy. I believe in having savings. I believe in providing for my family. I believe in having a will and trust. I believe in making sure that my kids don't have to take care of me, you know, that I'm not a burden. And so I do. I have savings. But I have plenty to share. And so I'm going to share when God tells me to share. And that's being generous like Christ. 
So I want to ask you tonight, just as a self-check of your heart, and I did this with myself this morning, which way do you lean, towards scarcity or toward abundance? And it's just a great self-check to ask, how can I grow to be more generous? What area of my life can I become more generous so I can be like Christ? As I think about generosity, I believe that it's motivated by three conditions that all of us have potential for. And you can write these down tonight. I didn't include them in your notes. They came late in the week after note time. So first of all, generosity is motivated by being thankful. That's the first thing, that we connect the dots between what we're thankful to God for, His provision, and our generosity. When we look to God as our provider, we're much more likely to become generous because we know He's going to give us what we need. Now, one of the ways that we can exercise this muscle of generosity is through giving, through tithing. And I was with a buddy last night who's one of my financial advisors. He's a young guy. And I told him, I said, I'm going to talk on generosity tomorrow. And he goes, oh, you're going to talk on tithing. And I said, well, no, actually, I wasn't going to talk on tithing. I was just going to talk on being generous. And he said, well, I think you should talk on tithing. He said, because everybody needs to know that tithing is what you need to do, right? And true story, that's what he told me last night. So I said, okay, Dan, I'm going to include a little bit on tithing. So tithing is when you give the first fruits of your income back to the Lord, generally through the church. That's what we do. And so for the last, I don't know what I did with it. Oh, there it is. For the last 35 years, this is what I've done. Uh, Usually twice a month. Now I'm paid monthly. And so I sit down. I sat down this morning. I wrote out the check and includes the first fruits uh, from my wife's income and from my income. And uh, that's gross income. That's what we believe in. And so for 35 years and we've had times that were tough like when we bought the house over in Bradley Meadows Lane there wasn't much left and again don't feel manipulated by this this is not my attempt to get you to give I'm just telling you that generosity is good for the soul and this is how we exercise generosity so tonight I wanted to make sure that I said thank you thank you to those of you that have put your hand to the plow with ours at North County Christ the King And you have been faithful in your giving. You know, we're able to do the things that we do. You know, we, that's us, as a church, because of your faithfulness. Because of God's blessing, but because of your generosity, we're able to do things that other churches don't even dream about doing. And we have people that come to Christ. Eleven kids in the last two weeks have given their hearts to Christ through Adventure Club because of your generous giving. We do Adventure Club because of your generous giving. All over the world, India, Nepal, Cambodia... Uh, China, Mongolia now, people are giving their hearts to Christ in part because you have partnered with them. Uh, You give your 10% and the church gives 10% of everything that comes in through our doors goes to international and local missions. We give 10% of everything and more. And so, you know, I just want to say that that is a great way to exercise your faith muscle, your generosity muscle, and I'm grateful for what you guys do. If you're here tonight and you have not yet Come to that place where you, where you either have the faith or believe that that's something you should do. I just want to encourage you to become, maybe not a 10% tither, but become a, a more generous giver. And it doesn't have to be through the church, but it can be. But just exercise that generosity muscle because I believe that your soul is the most well when you share what you have with people that have need. It's like saying, you know, I've got one tomato, you don't have any tomatoes, so I'm going to give you my tomato. 
Or in the abundance thinking, I've got 100 tomatoes, you don't have any, I'm going to give you 50. You know what I mean? It's, it's sharing what we have, becoming a faithful giver. Great generosity in giving comes when you connect the dots between what you have with God's provision. Okay? The second thing is, generosity is motivated by compassion. By the fact that you care for somebody or something. And it, uh, generosity flows when a person is moved by the needs of others. When you see that homeless guy on the street and you, you are compelled to run over to Burger King or McDonald's and, and get a burger and bring it over to him or her, I mean, that's that compassion that you feel. Last week I had one of those moments where I recognized that compassion in somebody. I, I went out and I ran the 5K for the fallen heroes. I don't know if you've heard of this, but A.J. Hukama, who goes to our church, and his wife, Sharisa, put on this event, and the proceeds of this go to help the families of those who've had a, a parent or a, you know, a husband or wife in the military, and they've either lost their lives on the field or they've come home and, and life's been difficult because of their time in the military, PTSD, depression, sometimes suicide. And so this event was to help a local family that had gone through something like that. And the reason I participated was because A.J. is a friend of mine, and he sits in the second row every Sunday, and he was so generous with his time. I mean, he spent, I don't know, hundreds of man hours putting this thing on and gave to it personally to make it happen. And I recognized that gift of compassion in him, and I said, I want to come alongside that. I want to be a part of that. So when I wrote my check for my entry fee, it was a lot more than what they required because I I just said, I want to give to this. I recognize this compassion in my friend. And so AJ was giving his time. Sharisa were giving their time. Yesterday, I mean, I love our church. Yesterday, we're out in the yards of people that some people have never met. And a hundred of us went out there. Some of you guys were there. Some of you have done this over the years. It's our service project. And we help families of, you know, orphan and adoption and foster families. And we help widows or just people that can't do it anymore. And we get out there in the yards. We had a hundred people show up to go out and uh, take care of 21 families. And it was just awesome. We had chili afterwards, you know, the gift that keeps on giving. And we just had a great time. And here's what I was struck by, because I, I, I get around and I meet people, right? And so I was struck by the fact that in this group that went out, we had doctors, we had Border Patrol agents, we had families with their children that wanted a family experience of working together, we had contractors, we had nurses, we had a school superintendent and his wife that were out serving in the community. And everybody I talked to had a great time. And my sense, as everybody came back and had soup around the tables and visited, my sense was their souls were well. That they had just had such a good time serving in their community. And I was reminded about that in just this morning. I was reading in Hebrews 6 in my own personal devotions that I share online with some of you. And I was reminded that, you know, our salvation doesn't come from works, but the assurance of our salvation What we believe about our salvation does. This is what the writer of Hebrews says. He says, keep on loving others as long as life lasts in order to make certain or in order to be assured that what you hope for will come true. You see, generosity, sharing your life, blessing others is a sign of the work of the Holy Spirit in your life and the fact that Jesus has made a difference in your life. And so generosity helps us be assured about our eternal security. Thirdly, generosity also flows from abundance. It flows from abundance. God is so generous because he lives 
in this perpetual condition of abundance. He never runs out of anything, of grace, of forgiveness. I mean, aren't you glad that, like tonight, you might go to bed and, you know, run through your confession list of sins through the day, and you might say, and God, forgive me for, you know, whatever. And aren't you glad God doesn't say, oh, sorry, just ran out of that one. Hope you sleep okay. Hope you don't die in your sleep tonight, you know. You know what I mean? Aren't you glad God doesn't run out? He's abundant. And so he keeps on giving. And God wants us to give out of abundance. Out of that sense of there will always be more to give. Again, don't limit this thinking to money. Be thinking about things like grace. Do you have a chance to give grace? Do you have a chance to give forgiveness? Do you have a chance to offer reconciliation to somebody who's hurt you? I mean, the list goes on and on of the ways that God wants us to be abundant. Everything we enjoy on this planet, even our own accomplishments, come from God's abundance. Don't kid yourself. You know, advances in technology or in medicine come as a result of this mind that God has given us that has intelligence and curiosity and and wanting to discover things. You know, don't give all the credit to men and women. Yes, they did the work, but God's the one that gave the brains and the ability to come up with the advances that we've come up with. And so God wants us to give out of abundance. He wants us to respond to his love. He wants us to be known by him and then be generous out of that love. He wants us to give what we've received. It's that simple. Jesus said in Matthew 10, 8, give as freely as you've received. And we have an abundance of love, acceptance, and kindness to give away. Amen? Because of God's generosity. Number three in your notes tonight. God's generosity is lavish and unmatched. You cannot outgive God. And if you really want to experience the generous lifestyle, you want to experience the best God has for you, again, this is not prosperity doctrine. This is simply saying receive what God has for you, and partner with Him to give His love away. You cannot outgive Him. He will match you. He will exceed you. He will be lavish with you. He has been lavish with you. So God has demonstrated His generosity by, by giving us Jesus. We've already experienced the lavishness of God in that He did for us what we cannot do for ourselves. You know, every time I receive communion... It's new. It's fresh. It's like, okay, I need this. Thank you, Jesus. And I I never get beyond the lavish nature of the gift. I always receive it in the sense of awe and the sense of beauty in in which it was given. And it never gets old for me. I could take communion every day. I could. It never gets old because of the lavish nature of his gift. Listen to this. Ephesians 1. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he has lavished, which he has lavished upon us. Would you say that word with me, lavish? Lavish. Doesn't that just roll off your tongue? Isn't that that like, that's a great word. That's a great word. And it's hard to apply that word to anything worldly, isn't it? Like even ice cream sundaes. I mean, they're good, but they're not lavish. You know what I mean? I mean, what can you really use that word for in life? Yet we can use it when thinking about God's love and his sacrifice for us.
beautiful, beautiful, lavish gift for us. So this evening we celebrate the lavish love of God through Jesus Christ. And my prayer for you is that like me, and I never exclude myself from my preaching. I'm always front and center in terms of I need to hear this. And so like me, I want to connect the dots between what Jesus did for us, his generosity for us, and how then we should live. And how God wants us to live out of his lavish generosity for us. So would you stand together? Worship team is going to come and then we're going to receive communion together. And I just want to pray for us tonight. First of all, again, we don't want to miss the central purpose of communion. And and Jesus said, as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, remember me. Remember me. And, And I think he would say, remember the lavish nature of my gift. And so that is central, that we simply remember him and and receive all he has for us. But in addition to that, I I want to just invite you to, as you hold your cup and your bread tonight, to be thinking about how God wants you to connect the dots. Because this life does live out the love of Christ. Even though we're human and we're stuck on this planet, we do live out the love of Christ. So we are God's expression of love on this world. And so we want to connect those dots. And and like John said in 1 John, he said, we love because we've been loved. So as you hold the elements tonight, I want you to be thinking about that. God, how can I better connect the dots between your generosity to me and my generosity to the world? So Lord Jesus, tonight as we receive your body and your blood again, we remember you. You are awesome. You are lavish in your love for us. We're grateful that you did for us what we cannot do for ourselves. So tonight we take that, we remember you with that in mind. But Lord, we also pray that you'll help us as we leave this place tonight to live a little more out of the generosity that you've given us. To be a little more like you, Jesus, as a result of taking in your body and your blood. Thank you, Lord. All right, let's receive our our elements. Go back to your seats and we will uh, receive it together tonight.